Hey friends, it's good to see you today. My name's Steve. I'm one of the elders here. It's great to be with you. Later here, uh, uh, toward the conclusion, we're going to have a time of confession. And they say that confession is good for the soul, so I thought that I would offer that to you this morning. A few weeks ago, the wife and I, because the daughter had already seen it, went to see uh, the Avengers Infinity War. Have any of you all seen it? Like, I still think we're within the spoiler alert, uh, you know, time frame, so I will not discuss it too much. But here's the thing of the experience that I would say, confession I need to offer to you. And you have to understand what leads up to this. And it's the idea that I had a meeting in the afternoon, but we knew we wanted to see the meeting. And I'm like, okay, I've got this important phone meeting that I have to get to, but we can see the movie. But as you're doing the math to figure out, you forget how long the previews are. Because they used to show the previews before the actual time, but then the previews actually start in that time frame. So you realize that what ought to be a two and a half hour experience to stretch over to a three hour experience. And as it came to the conclusion of the movie, I looked at my, my phone and I was like, we have to leave. And the wife, even though she is loved of God and has the spirit of an angel, looked at me. She goes, you know what's going to happen. And I was like, look, after that, it's not going to happen. And sure enough, we committed the cardinal sin of leaving a Marvel movie before the end of the credits. Now, some of you are like, I am not culturally astute, and there's a groaning here, and why is that? So if you are unfamiliar and have a life outside the Marvel Universe, which some of you are like, preach. They've started this like, trend within moving going, is that at the end of the credits, there is some sort of teaser preview to an upcoming movie. And that is actually something to be talked about much even more so than what actually happened in the movie that you just spent a couple hours watching. And sure enough, I was like, well, you know how, and some of you saw it, that movie ended different than any other Marvel movie. So I was like, well, maybe they won't have it. And sure enough, we get to the car and somebody's Googling and says, aha! And I come before you saying I have wronged. Now, it's this trend that started within movies, but I think it speaks well to the point that sometimes the ending is merely a beginning. Friends, sometimes an ending is merely a beginning. So we've been in this series that we've been looking through the book of Ephesians. The series has been entitled Grafted because it had to deal with an early church issue. How do you bring diverse peoples into one family of God? And there were many things that they tried to wrestle and grapple with during this time. And here at the end, Paul, as he writes this letter, gets a little further detached from this grafted issue and just give some good counsel for how the church in Ephesus should move on and practice becoming an integrated, diverse family of God. So we are closing out this book this morning. We're glad that you're here to be able to witness this. So we are going to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. If you're unfamiliar with this area, that's fine. It's in the New Testament, so it's closer to the end. If you pull one of those blue Bibles out in the pew in front of you, it's on page 830. And we're not going to go through the entire chapter, but we're going to start midway through. And I want to begin reading in verse 11 of Ephesians 6. 
And if you're churchy this morning, you're probably, of all the things in the book of Ephesians, you might be familiar with the following verses. So we're going to read this and try to see what Paul is saying here at the end of this grafted journey. So I'm going to start reading in verse 11, and I have to flip a page so I don't even know when I'm going to stop, so we'll all be surprised. Paul writes, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. One of the uh, blessings of you know, being a, a little bit of a, uh, a, a tracker is I can look back and I can see when I preach certain texts. And I remember I preached this text in the spring of 1995 in the chapel of Cincinnati uh, Christian University, which then was uh, Cincinnati Bible College. And what I did at that time was I looked at this armor and I pulled it apart and I was telling, you know, I was going in depth into every single piece. And it's interesting what decades will do to your perspective because the way you see things earlier in life is very often differently than the way you will see it as you age. And one thing that used to never grab me up is the imagery of this. Yeah, we get the imagery of helmets and swords and shields, but now when I see it, all I see is this militaristic view of faith and dealing with baggage that some people have toward that. I can see why this, this text that often I would just see, oh, this is such an encouragement because it's like you're going into war and then you become more familiar with the history of Christianity and how many times violence was used by people of faith against other people. It's like believe or else. And you see why some people look at this with different lenses. Some of us probably here today have issues with a militaristic view of things. You think that it entails governmental control or violence. I grew up in the house of a, of a veteran. My father's here this morning, and he served in war in Vietnam. And even in this patriotic home, the one conversation that we've rarely ever had is what happened in Vietnam. And I think that's because he saw firsthand how horrendous war can be. But some of us who have never had that experience like to think, oh, it's just this, this view. It's like we are taking ground and we are conquesting. But then when you look at what was actually happening in the time of Paul, you see a different view of what he is describing here. Because generally in the Roman Empire where Paul was, the soldiers were the oppressors. They were the Roman Empire trying to force people to do what they wanted to do. So therefore, the view of the soldier wasn't like we see in, of today in the United States where it's an admirable and we, you know, we, we cheer for them during the seventh inning stretch. The reality was is that a soldier in that time brought fear. You never knew if that violence would be used against you to force you to do something you wouldn't want to do. And this is why I love what Paul is doing. 
Because what Paul is trying to say is like, look, here's this image that you have of a soldier, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to transform it before your very eyes. Because when you see the helmet and the short sword and, and the battle boots and all these things that they bring to the fray, what I want you to start to envision is how God needs soldiers of peace who are going to advance his cause in the universe. It's fascinating that Paul tries to flip this because I think what he wants to do is show the early church when you see a soldier on the corner, even though you might think they are to be feared, I want you to see what God can do when he transforms that. If this image was only it, then it would be something to look at. But notice that he continues here in verses 18 to 20. Ephesians chapter 6, 18 to 20. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray and I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Do you think he wants us to pray? He repeats it over and over and over again. And again, when we think of a militaristic view, that's something that is usually on human might and power and force. And what Paul is writing here is he says, the power behind the army is prayer, which is not something that we do forceful. Very often when we want to tell people about Jesus, we want to brow, beat them into submission. You will think the way I do, and you will like it, and you will be appreciative but what Paul says right here is value prayer. Value prayer, and, and, and if you really value that, then you're going to know from whom all of this derives. And this is one thing I love about this, folks, is notice that in the midst of Paul's things, he's like, pray, 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 pray. He wants the people to pray for him. Friends, what that is is inverting the power structure. Because very often, again, we don't like the militaristic view in Christianity. Sometimes we don't like the hierarchical view of power because we think pastors and priests and, and people at the top basically push the people down. Be spiritual just like me. And what Paul is saying, look, y'all, I need you to pray for me. That's an inversion of the power. That is flipping the script so that Paul understands that even though God has called him to a certain calling, that the power is derived from the Lord and that we all have access to that. So he values the prayers of the people. Recognizing again, is this traditional power structures? No, 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 no. It's not at all. It's different. It's inverted. And more so, will you skip back before this because I think this is the key verse to all of this. Verse 10, right before the armor of God, Paul says... Be strong in the Lord and in his power. So when we see a text like this, we think it's ancient and archaic because it's asking for violence. It's saying, picture the movement of God as an army. And you're like, that doesn't make me feel cuddly. Recognize that what Paul is trying to do is upset power structures. And what he's trying to say is that the real power of God is found in prayer through him, which is humility, which is recognition that you are not powerful in order for you to be successful, in order for you to understand the full goodness that the world has to offer, you need to appreciate your role 
which is child of God, servant of God, soldier of God, who brings peace. And how is this realized? This is what he talks through the whole book of Ephesians. It's realized in Christ. It's realized by us linking ourselves to who Jesus is. Friends, that's why we're here. And I would say in this room, this is what's beautiful about this, is that there are varying degrees of faith that we have right here. We're at different parts in the journey, and yet the message is just as relevant to all of us. As we grapple with our place in the universe, understand this, is that Christianity is built on the humility of a simple carpenter who lived life flawlessly and whose death for us changed everything. That's the story that we see in communion and that we see in and out every week. It's a great story. Because in these instances, we see that what was is not what needs to be. What we see is that the ending is also often a beginning. This is an exciting day because if you came in, you're like, you know, that's a, that's a water well that we have out front. No, that's our, that's our baptistry. That's, what's funny is that we have yet to use it. We've let three other churches use it at this point. And today we get to pull this thing out, man. This is awesome. Baptism is something that we do. And as a theologian, I wrestle with this all the time because I'm in a tribe of people, and so the tribe from which Echo belongs is that there are so many different argues about baptism, is that it becomes problematic. Last week, I was telling Garrett today, I was in a church last week where I had to preach that a person quit because they could not quit a ministry staff because they couldn't agree on the exact articulation of baptism. And I was just like, I, I would love to be able to solve it, I just don't have the time. And the reason that bothers me is because I'm very much pro-baptism. But for me to figure out what it fully means, again, is me taking that inverse power structure and putting it to where I have the answers of baptism. I have read, friends, theological treatises that say when is the exact moment that a person is saved? Is it when they are fully under the water? Or is it that point that their nose breaks the surface? And I, some of you are like, he's joking. I am not. Because what we want to do is figure out the entire confines. And the one thing that two decades of theological studies have taught me is I have no idea. I don't know exactly how it works, but this I know. The scriptures say this is something you should value. It's something that you should do. It's something that's transformative. And it's reflective of the obedience of means of following Jesus. And as much as we theologically sometimes want to make it an ending, you know, it's like, hey, you're baptized, boom, that's it, have a great life. No, 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 no. This is a beginning. There's something more to this. And this is why I love this opportunity, because today we get the chance to share with a brother and sister this opportunity where they say, I want to be obedient to baptism. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to have Max come down right here. And this is what's great, is Max is a friend of mine. Max, his fiance Rachel, has been attending here for almost a year right now. 
And in an obscure sermon a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, when I was talking about this text, and I was like, look, this text talks about baptism, but this isn't about baptism. And Max afterwards is like, I need to be baptized. So what do I know? Some of you have gotten to know Max, but this is one of the great things. Is when we sit down and talk, uh, Max, he, he came to really develop a passion for following Christ in previous years. And he, you know, and Rachel has played a great part of this, and family have just really talked with him. And this is a great conversation. As Max is like, I think I need to do this because I'm coming to this point in life where I'm becoming serious about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the best part of the conversation, he said, I know that I need to become the man of God I need to be for Rachel. And I, well, like I do, twisted that. And I was like, and also for our church. Because we need who Max needs to be for the community. And that's why we're excited that you're here. We're excited that you've decided to be baptized today. So what we do is what we talk in the beginning. I had my confession. This is a confession of faith. And we get this from the scriptures because those who come to follow Christ, we just say confess before people. And Max is here this morning to confess before the community Jesus Christ. So I'm going to take your hand and I'm going to hold a microphone here so it's really awkward so we can hear you. Okay. But I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I will serve Him. And I will serve Him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. <laughs> will you have a seat? Okay. You can sit back there. Daughter, come here. A few years ago, Kaylin came to me and she's just like, I think it's time for me to be baptized. And I was like, no, it's not. Because one thing when we talk about baptism is sometimes we push kids into it and our desire is to make sure, and this is something that her mother and I have talked a lot about, is we say, look, you grew up in church. I mean, she literally grew up in Echo. Like, she was there when there were eight people as a baby. And these people in the crowd, many of them held you as a baby, or they babysat you, and they invested in you. But there was this point where we're like, no, it's not time. And our conversations have matured to the point where in the past few months, and she's like, I think I need to be baptized. And we've had some long conversations, which it's awkward having Bible study with your dad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> A few weeks ago, and you probably see it, Kaylin's become quite the soccer player, scored more goals this season than she ever has. And she had a rescheduled doubleheader, and one of the doubleheaders was firmly within church time. And my mother's here, and there were certain expectations that we had growing up. And I was not able to play sports games during church time on Sunday because it was sacred. But I felt that she was way too cruel of a parent. I feel like she limited my spiritual growth. And plus, more so than that, is I wanted to experiment with my child because I like to mess around. And I said, hey, Kaylin, you know, you've got this soccer game coming up, but it's right in the middle of church time. And before I could finish the sentence, she's like, well, then I'm not playing. Like, I'm going to Echo because that's where I want to be. And it was that moment when I'm just like, this kid's ready. Because she understands what God is doing in her life and what he's going to do through the rest of it. So I'm incredibly proud of you. So what I'm going to do is the same thing. I'm going to ask that you take my hand and repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I will serve Him. And I will serve Him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. 
All right, so this is what you can go. Now, this is the cool thing, is that we, you know, this is the first time we've done baptisms in this place too, because we've done it in kiddie pools before, at swimming pools, we've done, the, we've done it in different places, but not here. And I love the idea that we're going to be out right in the midst of our community, because that is a testimony of faith. That is us as a community coming together, because as much as it's these two individuals saying something about their commitment, it's us as a community of faith. So this is what we're going to do, and this is a safe place, but if you would like to, can you go get the um, kids in the back, because we're going to even bring everybody out, but we are going to make our way out to the sidewalk, and we're going to have some baptism, all right? So you can grab your stuff, or otherwise I'll go through your purses. <laughs> Let's head out to the street, and we'll have baptism. <laughs>